Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, just want to make sure that you're following along with the Lincoln Project on all of our coverage regarding the January 6th committee hearings. Testimony has been explosive. The evidence has been damning against Donald Trump and his attempt to steal the 2020 election. I hope you'll follow us and understand just how close we were to losing it all. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm coming to you solo to answer questions that come from you, the listeners and members of The Lincoln Project community. I got to tell you guys, I love the smart and thoughtful questions that come to us from social media, our emails, town hall meetings, and every other thing that we are so lucky to be able to do with y'all and for y'all every week. Before we get started, I just want to say I hope everybody's having a great summer. I hope you're having a safe summer. But remember that there is work to be done and work that on goes. We're busy every day. We count on y'all's support. And we hope that as we get closer and closer to Election Day, that you will stand with us, take more action, give some of your time back to American democracy, because, gang, it doesn't work without you, me, and everybody else getting involved. So with that, let's get to some questions. Let's start, Rob, with questions from the January 6th hearings. At LBB Laura on Twitter asks, given the enormous amount of investigations and their limited resources, is it fair of DOJ critics to be so impatient regarding its response to January 6th? Well, Laura, thanks for that question. And let's be clear, if there's any organization in the United States government outside the military, the Justice Department has an incredible number of resources. I would say that in contrast to the January 6th committee, which has a limited budget, a limited resources on staff, and only so much time in the day, the Department of Justice is a 24-7 operation. I think that they are looking very closely at what they're seeing coming out of the January 6th hearings. As we've mentioned before, we heard several weeks ago, Attorney General Merrick Garland say that he is watching these hearings, the DOJ is watching these hearings. So is it unfair? It's a little bit unfair, but I think it's more likely that folks just don't understand probably the process of how this works and understand that I'm certainly no lawyer and certainly no prosecutor. But here's how it works. Just like if you've seen a mob movie, they start at the bottom with the little fish and they work their way up the ladder. Donald Trump is the biggest fish and they're working their way up towards him. Do I think that they are going to get him? I think that they will indict him eventually. I think the preponderance of evidence is building up. I think also it's very important, folks, to remember that in that last January 6th hearing, at the very end, Congressman Liz Cheney noted that Donald Trump himself had called a witness that had not yet appeared before the January 6th committee. The witness did not answer the call, sent that information to their attorney, who in turn turned it over to the January 6th committee. But here was the difference, guys. The January 6th committee immediately referred that information to the Department of Justice. 
That is a big deal, guys. That means that they weren't waiting for something else, that they were saying, we believe, I think anyway, that Donald Trump is trying to pressure a witness or tamper with a witness to a federal proceeding, even if it's a congressional proceeding. And that means that Donald Trump not only is committing crimes ahead of and leading up to January 6th, his criming continues, gang. So before you get too impatient with the Department of Justice, understand when the DOJ, when a U.S. attorney is going to indict somebody, they want to have you dead to rights before they ask for that indictment. And I think that they are working hard and as fast as they can, given the other things going on with the January 6th committee, to ensure that as many people that need to be held accountable and brought to justice for that day and the events that led up to it are being held to account. And I think they will eventually indict Trump. Whether or not that's a conviction is another story. But I think that they will ultimately ask a grand jury for an indictment of Donald J. Trump for seditious conspiracy, among other things. And that's just my jailhouse lawyer opinion. All right, let's see. Who's next? At Bob Fabizak on Twitter asks, what legal liability might Mark Meadows be facing? Is it enough to make him flip? This is a great question, and I want to thank you, Bob, for asking it. As you heard in the conversation I had with Rick Wilson recently, this is one that's close to our hearts and our heads because we know that Mark Meadows, then the chief of staff to the president of the United States, sent an opposition research document featuring me, Rick Stewart, to the sitting attorney general of the United States, Bill Barr, just a week after Election Day 2020. So I hope that Mark Meadows is held to account for every one of his actions that broke the law in the days after Election Day 2020. Who knows what he did before then? But certainly in those weeks leading up to January 6th, where, as we heard from Cassidy Hutchinson, he was sitting on his couch in his office, scrolling through his text messages, scrolling through Twitter. When Ms. Hutchinson said, you know, there's a lot of danger to Vice President Pence, what are we going to do? And Mark Meadows says, I don't think he cares. I don't think there's anything we can do. There was also talk of him potentially going over to these quote-unquote war rooms that were being held at the Willard Hotel or the Trump Hotel. So I think Mark Meadows has a lot to answer for. Will he flip? I think he's going to have his Henry Hill moment, and he's going to have to ask himself, does he want to go to federal prison for Donald Trump? Even if he were to flip, he's probably going to do some time. But if he doesn't, he's going to do a lot of time, potentially. And I don't think that's the way that Mark Meadows wants to finish his career or the next several years of his life. And so I think ultimately he will work to cut a deal because at the end of the day, guys, a lot of these people are more than anything cowards and they will all flip to save their own skins, even if it means turning on the big orange man in Mar-a-Lago. Okay, Maeve Packard says, I've heard news and Twitter chatter over the last month or so that there's a possibility of Jenny Thomas or even Steve Bannon testifying at a public hearing in front of the January 6th committee. There hasn't really been a combative hearing yet. How would this sort of testimony play out, and how would it affect the overall case the committee is trying to build? It's interesting, Maeve, because when Jenny Thomas's name, I think, was first invoked a couple of hearings ago, her attorney said that she would be happy to come visit with the January 6th committee. They quickly walked that back. And so now it's a question of whether or not the January 6th committee will subpoena Mrs. Thomas. I believe that they should. I think that there is a preponderance of evidence that she was in communication with people as far flung as, you know, legislators out in Arizona and as close to the center of everything as Mark Meadows. 
I think it would be a hugely important thing to have Mrs. Thomas testify before the January 6th committee. She might do it behind closed doors, as Pat Cipollone, the former White House counsel, did. She might do it from a witness table. I'm not entirely sure. But clearly it looks like right now, unless compelled to do so, Mrs. Thomas does not appear to have any plans. I think that Steve Bannon testifying before the January 6th committee is a bad idea. I think it is sort of like letting Adolf Hitler grandstand from the dock in a German courtroom in 1924. Nothing good can come from that. Steve Bannon will either take the Fifth Amendment, he will grandstand, he will do everything he can to turn that into a circus. I do not believe that anything good comes from the idea of Stephen J. Bannon and his three polo shirts and his barber jacket being allowed to sit behind a witness table in which he has free reign to say and do whatever it is he wants on live television. I think the January 6th committee probably knows that, which is why I think that you'll likely never see him testify in public. That does not mean that maybe he submits to a subpoena because, remember, gang, that he has a federal trial starting here in just a few weeks, in fact, maybe just a few days, about the fact that he would not submit to a congressional subpoena, and he is now being held in contempt for that. And so we'll see how that goes. All right. The 2022 midterm elections. Nina Milstead asks, when the 1-6 hearings wrap up and the DOJ takes over with the investigations, how effective will this be on the primaries and or the general, specifically on the GOP? Well, Nina, first and foremost, we should know this, is that we're in July now. Most of the last important primaries, at least from our perspective, will take place next month in August. That'll be Florida. That'll be Wisconsin. That'll be Michigan. That'll be Arizona. So I don't think that the DOJ in and of itself will have any effect on primaries, but I think we do see that the hearings are having an overall effect on Republican enthusiasm and potentially Republican turnout. And why is that? Because I think it's just laying bare, gang, for everyone, for Republicans, Democrats, independents, just what a thug and a crook and a potential tyrant Donald Trump is, that we were this close, gang, this close to losing the country because Donald Trump didn't want to leave office. He could not, despite however many people had told him he had lost fair and square, he continued the fiction, even to this day, that the election was stolen from him, and he continued to find sycophants and yes-men who would help him continue that fiction that led to the bloodbath that led to the rioting of the Capitol, that led to the death of five Capitol police officers and the injury of hundreds more. It took the bravery of a single Capitol police officer, Eugene Goodman, to distract angry rioters, to save people like Mitt Romney, who you see that infamous footage of him running down the hallway, right? But for the bravery of a few men and women, this could have gone a very, very bad way. But for the fact that Donald Trump's Secret Service detail leader says, Mr. President, we're going back to the West Wing. He would have taken that presidential SUV up to the Capitol and led those people onto the floor of the House and Senate. We came this close, gang. And I think a lot of Americans are waking up to that fact. I think the fact that you have so many Republican members of Congress who've now gone to ground. Where's Elise Stefanik? Where's Kevin McCarthy on all this? You can't get them to say a word. Fox News, they don't dispute anything you're hearing. They're disputing the process, right? And gang, here's one thing you know in politics. If someone doesn't like 
What's happening? They'll attack the process. They always do. That's how they do it. And so I think it is having an effect. I think it is waking up a lot of Americans. It's emboldening Democrats and Democratic candidates to say, we cannot allow this to happen again. I think it's getting a lot of independence to move away from Republican candidates, again, because so many of them, like a Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, were at the Capitol on January 6th, or a Carrie Lake in Arizona are saying, stop the steal, stop the steal, stop the steal. She's even intimating now if she loses the Republican gubernatorial primary in Arizona in August, that it will be because it was stolen from her. So Trumpism continues to be venom in the veins of American democracy and is certainly metastasized across the Republican Party. All right. Agatha Green asks, do you think that the Republican congressman who asked for pardons will have trouble in their reelection efforts based on what we're learning from the January 6th hearings? Agatha, I would love to believe that. Unfortunately, Republicans have turned gerrymandering, that is drawing their own congressional districts into an art form. And many of these people will not face scrutiny from their voters because they have picked their voters. And a lot of the voters in these districts have been handpicked to ensure that these people can act just about however they want and they're going to get reelected. So as much as I would like them to be held to account by their voters this November, I don't think we're probably going to see it. But we should say this, people who believe that they're in the clear or that they've done the right thing, don't ask for pardons. Let's never forget that. Okay. Let's move on to the 2024 election. Chaz Maz on Twitter says, if DeSantis and Trump both declare, am I crazy for putting a DeSantis sign in my yard for the primary? I'm voting for whoever the Dem is, but DeSantis has the best chance at splitting the MAGA vote. The first step to ending Trumpism is ending Trump. Well, Chaz Maz, let me say this. I think first and foremost, let's focus on 2022. We have a big election four months from now. Let's focus on ensuring that the pro-democracy candidates that need to either be reelected or elected, we get that done. And that's places like Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Minnesota. We need Josh Shapiro elected governor in Pennsylvania. We need Gretchen Whitmer reelected governor in Michigan. We need Tim Waltz in Minnesota and Tony Evers reelected in Minnesota and Wisconsin, respectively. We need Katie Hobbs elected governor of Arizona. We need Steve Sisolak reelected governor in Nevada. We need Tim Ryan to defeat J.D. Vance in the Ohio U.S. Senate race. These are the key things. They're the key votes, guys, for democracy, not just for who controls the U.S. House or controls the U.S. Senate or who's going to control a governor's mansion, electing or reelecting these individuals will ensure the continuation, at least for now, of the American democratic experiment. A Doug Mastriano, a Carrie Lake, any number of the goons that are running for governor against Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, these are people who have said they will steal the 2024 election if Donald Trump asked them to. Let's make sure they never get the chance. Let's focus on that now. Do you want to vote for DeSantis over Trump if the time comes? The truth is you can say all you want about Ron DeSantis. There's always a flavor of the week. Clearly, he and his press operation have been in overdrive. We're hearing that there are a lot of big-time Republican donors and Republican elites. They want to be done with Trump. They want to move on to a Ron DeSantis. But let's be clear, gang. One, 
Trump ain't going anywhere until and unless he says it out loud and repeatedly. I'll believe it when I see it. And second, Ron DeSantis is Trumpism run through the car wash. He's not a better option. He's just a new and better model of it. He is not a pro-democracy candidate. The things that he has done down in Florida just show us evidence that he's smarter about how to do these things. He shouldn't be in the Oval Office any more than Donald Trump, but neither one of them should be. Once again, focus on 2022. It's the fight ahead. All right, let's get to a few extras here, Rob. Laura Fibbs on Instagram asks, is there a one-stop place to see state-by-state state what you need to know to vote absentee? Yes, go to vote.org. Vote.org, everybody. It will have all the information you need to check your registration, to understand the rules in your state, to vote by mail or vote absentee if you can. Again, vote.org. That is the one-stop shop. It will tell you everything you need to know. All right. At Endora Rosenblatt one on Twitter asks, when trying to convince a Republican to simply be open and listen to real facts and they respond, well, my life was better when Trump was in, what do you think I can say? This is a great question. And guys, I want to say this, that MAGA, they buy in bulk, but they sell one at a time. And what do I mean by that is it is far easier for folks to get sucked in by misinformation, disinformation, the kind of stuff that Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson or Donald Trump peddle than it is to peel them back out. You know, we've had numerous conversations with experts, Nick Carmody, who I just had on a few weeks ago about the psychology of this. And the first thing I'll tell you is like, if you're going to say to someone like this, hey, you voted for Trump or you support him, therefore you're an idiot, they're going to shut down. Shields are going to go up, walls are going to go up, and they're going to turn around and walk away from you. You have to engage in a conversation. And it's not just one conversation. Open up their minds through conversation and understanding. And this is why, guys, it's so hard. It's not saying that you have to agree with their worldview or their perspective, but you must ask questions, questions that get them to open up. Tell me why it is you support Donald Trump. Tell me what it is about him that makes you think your life was better. Is your life better? Are you making more money now or are you not? Go back and listen to my conversation with the professor from the University of California, San Diego, about her book, Why Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them, which is people will put up with a lot. They'll put up with economic disenfranchisement. They'll put up with hardship. What they won't put up with is what they see as a loss of status. And what it sounds like you're hearing is when someone says my life was better under Trump because their person that they identified with culturally and from a status perspective was in power and now they're not. And they feel dislocated and disjointed and disenfranchised because the status that they thought Trump brought them is now gone. When Trump got elected, he allowed tens of millions of people who felt like their place in the world was coming to an end or was changing faster than they were okay with to say, see, we got him. We finally got back at him. And I'm not saying I agree with it, but we shouldn't underestimate it as a very powerful force in the lives and minds of millions of Americans. So if you're going to have these conversations, start slow, say, explain to me how you see that and start to say, have you ever tried getting off social media for a couple of weeks? Have you ever tried turning Fox News off? Not because you want them to immediately be reborn as a progressive Democrat. That's not going to happen. 
But because, as we heard Stephen Ayers, the gentleman at the last January 6th committee hearing say, I got off social media, I took the blinders off. This is a step-by-step process, gang. It's a one-person-at-a-time process. I'd like to tell you that the scales will fall from the eyes of tens of millions of Trump voters, but it won't. This is why you've got to do the work day in and day out. It took us a long time to get here, guys. It's going to take us a pretty long time to get out of it, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing, and it doesn't mean it's not worth having the conversation. It just means setting yourself up for success by understanding how you talk to folks in a way that is one-on-one with them and does not condescend to them. If you look down on somebody because they disagree with you politically, if you look down on somebody because they don't have the same level of education you do, if you look down on somebody because they'd rather watch UFC than tennis like you do, then they're never going to understand where you come from because you have already told them you don't understand where I come from, nor do you want to. All right, let's close up with this, Rob. Fred Lindy asks, Remember that one time when a Texas weatherman was talking about how hot temperatures could lead to rolling blackouts and then the TV studio's lights went out? Yes, Fred, I do. In fact, I think that we posted that on the Lincoln Project Twitter feed. So let me just take an opportunity for a couple of minutes just to talk about Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas. Last year, gang, in the winter of 2021 in Texas, the power grid failed because Texas had a cold snap and everybody had to turn their heaters on, and the Texas power grid couldn't keep up. The power went out across much of the state. People died. They froze to death in their homes. Even when the power came back on, the water didn't come back on because the pumps weren't ready, so people had to boil water. They had to get water out of their toilets if their toilets worked. And so, guys, Greg Abbott is not just a bad governor because he's a cynical ideologue who is going out of his way to take the rights away from millions of Texans, whether or not that's voting, whether or not that's on choice, whether or not that's on where and how their kids are educated. But he's failed across the board. This is a guy who doesn't deserve to be reelected because he's a bad governor. 65,000 Texans have died from COVID because he refused to take it seriously. He pulled a stunt at the border where he was making the Texas State Patrol stop every truck. You know what? It cost the state of Texas $44 billion. And now, guys, there's an extreme heat going through Texas. Temperatures 103, 105, 107 degrees. And what happens again? The Texas electric grid can't handle it. Why, guys? Because Greg Abbott has taken millions and millions of dollars from the operators of electric power companies, he disconnected the Texas power grid from the Western American grid and the Eastern American grid and deregulated the whole thing. So now when you see these loads that need to keep the air conditioning running in all these places and the Texas grid can't handle it, there's not a backup source of power from the Western grid. There's not a backup source of power from the Eastern grid. He has chosen to do the bidding of his campaign financiers and from the big interests in Texas. And who's going to suffer? Texans, individual Texans. He does not deserve another term in office. He doesn't even deserve to finish out the rest of this year in office. When those kids were killed at the Uvalde school, he said it could have been worse. Really, Governor, how could it have been worse for those families? Tell us, Governor, how could it have been worse for those families? They don't think it could have been worse, Governor. Their children are in the ground. Their children are in heaven. And you sit in the governor's office. Or, as I've heard, 
you sit at the Newport Harbor Yacht Club in beautiful Newport Beach, California, a place I've been in, a place I used to live with big developers, right? Are you in Texas when you need to be working for Texans? No. You and Dave Carney, your longtime political conciliary, are thinking about a run for president, quixotic at best, rather than serving Texans. I went to high school and college, guys, in Texas. I went to high school in Dallas. I went to college at the University of Texas at Austin. This is a guy who's been in office since I was in college, guys, and I'm not a young guy. This is a guy who says to hate government, but he can't get a job outside of it. He wants four more years in the governor's office. This fall, guys, turn him out of office. Turn the page in Texas. Vote Beto O'Rourke, okay? I know I don't get that fired up, guys. I know you come here for thoughtful, reasoned discussions with very smart people. But I'll tell you this. I take this personally. Some of my best friends still live in Texas. You know, I've got family in Texas. And I'll tell you this. Like, there's never been anyone who's less qualified for another term in office as Texas's governor than Greg Abbott. Time and again, when he had the opportunity to do right by Texans, he hasn't. Time and again, when he's had the opportunity to do right by political extremists or his campaign funders, he's done right by them. He does not deserve four more days, let alone four more years. All right, guys, I want to thank you for spending some time with me. Again, I hope you and your families are safe and healthy. I hope you're having a great summer. Hope you're having somewhat of a normal summer. If you're someplace that's hot, I hope you're staying cool. I always look forward to talking to you all, and I want to thank you all for sharing a couple of hours a week with me. I cannot tell you how flattered and humbled I am by your comments. All I can ask that you do Join the union.us, sign up for our volunteer army that's going to save democracy in 2022. Lincolnproject.us, join our list, find out what we're all about, how we're working, and how you can be part of it. Again, share this podcast with your friends. If you think they're interested in our mission, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from them. Until then, gang, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. You can find me on Instagram at Read underscore Galen underscore LP. Thank y'all so much. I cannot say thank you enough, not only on my behalf, but the entire team at the Lincoln Project, who they do incredible work day in and day out. It is an incredible group of people who span the political spectrum. They span from their 20s to their 60s. And we believe in this mission. We do it all day, every day, and we wouldn't be able to do it without y'all. Until we talk next time, gang, thanks so much. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.